Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week on the podcast, Jojo Mayer, one of the greatest drummers walking the face of the earth right now, a man who has been incredibly innovative when it comes to drumming technique as a whole, and a great story as to how he's continued to build his name in the music world, not just the drumming world. Jojo Mayer, coming up, it's going to be a good one. N-O-R-A-G-E-R-M-A-I. N I N T H E H O U S E. Nora's your maid in the house. Is that the most spelling that you've done out loud ever in your life? I try to give you a big intro. I try to make Thank this you. worthwhile. And what do you do? You throw it back in my face because that's the kind of scumbag that you are. And it makes me question why I keep bringing you back in the show. If you're just going to, in the first instance, try and make an effort to put me down. If well, I I'm just, you spelled my name really nicely. It was really great. It was that's, that's really good. Well, why didn't you just say that to start with? I know you're trying to backtrack. I know you're trying to give, give me a compliment. But I've been around long enough to know that you're just being manipulative. I really do appreciate it. It sounds like... Um, you're a cheerleader in a football game. <laughs> now you're mocking me in a roundabout way because you're a scumbag. Okay. <laughs> We've got a lot of emails to answer, ladies and gentlemen. Keep them coming in. Music at gmail.com. Nora and I are sorting your love advice, as you well know, and we do it each and every week on the Talk Music Podcast. Nora, are you ready? I am ready. Do you, do you, do you need love advice? Do you have a broken heart or pubic lies? Okay, first emails from Joanne. Hello, Joanne. Hi, Scott, Nora. I've realised that I've been playing guilt trips on my boyfriend. I feel terrible about it. When I do this, it's over things he's done that have genuinely hurt me. But they are always fairly minor things. For example, if he double books her date with a work commitment, and it's usually after he's already apologised for what he's done. He always owns up to mistakes and tries to make them right. He deserves more credit for the, what I give him. I think I need more of a constructive way to express hurt or frustration when it comes to it, instead of directed at him in a passive-aggressive way. Or maybe I'm projecting another deeper issue of mine, like not feeling seen enough or insecurity. Uh, insecurity, things that, at the end of the day, are not my fault in the slightest. Excuse me, are not his fault in the slightest. I didn't even realise how much I've been doing this up until recently. So, it's become so habitual that I hardly think twice about it, and my guilt-tripping behaviours are a regular occurrence. Do you have any advice for how 
to break the guilt trip cycle? Nora? Well, let me tell you something. Nope. If you're a woman and you're in a relationship with a man, you're guaranteed to run into some problems. That's what I think. And uh, when those problems arise, Joanne, it's very important to say how you feel and then let it go. Okay, it's two steps. Step one, one. say how you feel. Step two, two, let it go. Let it go. Okay. So, uh, it's okay. I mean, we all do that sometimes, making people feel guilty for things they've already apologized for. I've never done um, it. Sorry? I've never done it. You never? Never. Oh. Um, yeah, you feel bad now, don't you? I do, actually. I feel pretty bad. There but you go. Wait, that's a guilt trip. No. You just did it. You're doing this again. You're always trying to interrupt me and make me feel really bad about myself. And now you're making okay. me lose my confidence. As you see, Joanne. <laughs> Why do you things... always have to put me down? Oh, my God. Um, Scott, I don't uh, mean to put you down. I just do it without thinking. Kind of like Joanne. Joanne, in conclusion, you're a bitch just like Nora. <gasps> I'm kidding. Scott I'm kidding. didn't mean that. I'm kidding. Scott didn't mean I'm kidding. that. You you're, to, um... you're nowhere near as bad as that. Oh, oh my God. It's stinging. It's stinging deep down. So you're but trying no, to put me um, in a guilt trip. Right. No, wait, but she said something else. It's really important. You said that you think you might have some deep sort of insecurities. And, you know, maybe you do. Uh, you just, if you are feeling insecure, that... Uh, maybe he doesn't spend enough time with you or something, then you should look it straight in the eye, you know, straight in the just don't go around it. If you feel like you have some insecurity, uh, go within, uh, face it head on, and I'm sure you'll work it out, you know. Yep, that's nice and direct. Go within, you work it out. Yeah. Yeah, step one, step two. Brilliant. Hope that helps, Joanne. Keep emailing in. Let me know your progress and all that, Mother Jazz. We're going to move on. Rita from Scarsdale. Hi, Rita. Whoa, Rita. Scarsdale. Ready, Nora? Yes, I am. Okay. Hi, Scott, Nora. Love the podcast. Listen every week. Rita listens in every week, Nora. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Right, Okay. Here's Rita's email. This guy, the guy I've been dating for a few months, asked me out on WED for a dinner date on Fry. That's short for Wednesday, and Fry is short for Friday. Thank you. Thank you so much. At 6pm, at 4pm on Friday, he called me and left a voicemail that he was very sorry that he would need to cancel our date tonight since some good friends of his came into town unexpectedly and he was going out with them. He didn't mention if they were males or females and didn't invite me to join them. I was very angry that he would blow me off for a quote-unquote better offer and not invite me. 
I would never have done this to him. And she's got him in caps lock. Oh, that's why you keep doing that scary voice. So to reiterate, I would have never done this to him. This is the second time he's cancelled on me with a lame excuse. I sent him a text saying, and I quote, Call me when you can fit me into your life. Close inverted commas. I haven't heard from him for three days. He's probably mad at me. Should I call and apologize for my snipey text? Nora Germain? No, you should not. This man is a fool. <laughs> totally. Okay. Um, okay, where do I begin? So first, he asks you on a date. Then he doesn't show up. So then he does that two times. Doesn't invite you on two the other time. thing. Right. Doesn't invite you out. Doesn't make an effort to to reschedule. Doesn't uh, show you in any way that he cares about the fact that he's crapped out of the date. Craps out on two dates also, which is just really lame. And uh, isn't even responding to the fact that you're clearly upset with him. Uh, hasn't really tried to apologize or make it right. I mean, he's like screwed up every possible thing. Uh, I think a man could screw up in this situation. So I think he probably doesn't actually care about going on a date with you. He probably just wants to um, do a little bit of the horizontal mambo. What does that mean? Oh, you know what it means. You know, the horizontal foxtrot. Polka. The, the nasty, nasty. Anyway. So... Uh, don't apologize. Um, don't call. I think you should find a new man. Um, one that, uh, actually wants to spend time with you because, you know, you're clearly a really nice woman. And, uh, I think, um, I think you need to find a man that will go on a great date with you the first time. That's what you need. Yep. That's what you need. There you go, Rita. Dump him. Dump the zero and get with the hero if you can find one. There Thanks, you go. Rita. Thanks very much, Rita. Keep them emails coming in. Skwmusic at gmail.com. Nora and I will sort all of your uh, problems and issues. Julie from Edinburgh. Hi, Julie. Hi. I have been dating my BF, Derek. Do you know what BF stands for? Best friend. <laughs> Boyfriend. Oh, okay. Hi, I've been dating my BF, boyfriend, Derek, for six weeks. We get on great. He's so funny and good to be around. I work <laughs> lot. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, your voice. I just can't. <laughs> You sound like Mary Poppins. He was brilliant when he was in Leonard Skinner. What? We, we get on great. He's so funny and good to be around. I work long hours and hate my job. I work in a call centre. It is so boring. Derek has been... <laughs> Derek has been really upsetting me recently as he refuses to send me pictures of his penis while I'm at work. 
He needs to understand that this would make me feel good and make the day easier. He says that he is too shy and worries about intimate pictures of himself getting around. He's so fucking selfish. What should I do? Julie? Um, Maybe you could send him a picture first. Of her penis. Yeah, you know, just to like, um, you know, warm him up to the idea. Or, you know, is there another penis that you could have a friend send you a picture of? Uh, <laughs> what? Why would she want to do that? Well, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like she really needs like a good pick me up. So <laughs> if you're pretty or even if you're funny, or, I mean, I'm sure you're funny and you're really pretty. So. I'm sure there are lots of guy friends, uh, BFs, best friends, that would love to um, send you one of those. So maybe you can get someone else to. No, but do she that. can't. That's not the issue, though, is it? She's wanting to get this guy to do it. She's not looking for a picture of any penis. I'm sure she could just go on the internet and find one. Julie from Edinburgh. So I, I'm assuming that she's trying to get him around to the idea. So what what would you what would your communication be with him? I would probably I would probably send something first if if it what were would, me. What would you send? Not that I've ever done this before, but if I, I say had, I say bullshit. If I if it were me, I would start the lines of communication in that way. And see where it got me. That's what I would do. All right. Before this turns into a flaming porn podcast, a porn cast. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, That's pretty we'll, funny. Yeah. I just thought of that off the top of my head. Um, That's pretty good. Julie, take Nora's advice. You know what to do. Anyway, Nora has got her violin at the ready and she's going to play us out this week. In fact, uh, Nora, what are you going to, what are you going to, what are you going to, what are you going to give us? What are you going to give us? What do you, what are you feeling? How are you feeling today? Can you play anything? Could you play, like, for talking sake, a uh, ballad and B minor? B minor? Is yes. there a certain significance for that key for you? It's the one that I thought of off the top of my head. Mm. I'm sure I can organize something. Well, organize it right now. Okay. Okay. And I this want you to think great. of this. Think of butterflies flying. In the rain, thunder happens, and the butterflies turn into mush. Oh my. Just bear that in mind. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> Thank you.
all joking aside, I know this is a <clears throat> a podcast where I say a lot of stupid stuff and all that, but I can genuinely say my friend Nora is legitimately a genius. Oh, thank you so much. That actually was B minor. It really was. Yeah. That is bloody ridiculous, man. Uh, totally serious. I know we joke around a lot and everything, but uh, <laughs> it just amazes me that you can do that. Really, really does. Did you see the butterflies falling down? Did could you see it? Yeah, I really, really could. I don't know. Like, I, I genuinely kind of just taken aback. It never ceases to amaze me how you can do that off the top of your head. And you know, you look <laughs> look what I can do musically. I hit drums and write comedy songs, and you come out with just beautiful stuff like that off the top of your head. Nor is yeah, your main... but you gave me this lovely scenery though. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Come and think of it. I take back. I'll take back all those compliments. That was my direction that made it sound like that, ladies and gentlemen. My direction, my song, my <laughs> composition. True. Scott Cowie, and you, that will be that one will be on my forthcoming album, which is titled "Scott Cowie Goes Classical." Thank you very much. And now we're going to get right down to the interview. Woo! Woo! Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with drumming sensation, Jojo Mayer. How are you, Jojo? Very good today. <laughs> Excellent. So um, quite a journey it's been for you over the years. A ton of things coming up this year. But um, let's go back to what influenced you to start playing drums in the first place. Um, how did it all kick off? Well, I guess my main influence uh, must have been my family because my my dad is a jazz musician and, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a very artistic musical environment, you know, and, and I was basically assaulted by music pre, pretty much in my prenatal state as my mom was sitting on my dad's face and while she was pregnant with me. So um, I was under assault of rhythm and bass and drums, you know, and uh, so that, that was the main influence, you know, all, all like the records around my, my parents' house, all the music of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, then, you know, later on, I started to develop, you know, more like specific interests in, you know, certain players, certain artists, you know, and, but it, it has been pretty diverse. I mean, I mean, anything from Louis Armstrong to, to Ellington to uh, Charlie Parker to the Beatles to Hendrix to... Zeppelin, James Brown, uh, and, you know, and then evidently all like the electronic stuff that I started to get in touch with on the more, uh, I mean, hip hop, you know, but then I would say in the, in, in the, in the early nineties, I started to develop more of an interest for like electronic music and, you know, with some of the pioneering producers at that time, you know, that came predominantly from like the UK you know, like drum and bass, jungle, the old school jungle stuff, you know, minimal techno from Germany, et cetera, et cetera. Can you remember the first ever time you heard Buddy Rich? Uh, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I heard that name, uh, you know, a, a long time before I actually seen Buddy Rich because um, when I was maybe six or seven years old, my dad would let me sit in in his band and then like people would go like, oh my God, he's like the little Buddy Rich. You know, so I heard, I keep hearing that name, uh, who's like Buddy Rich. And then there was a friend of my dad's uh, that played with, with my dad and he was very influenced by like Buddy Rich and he had a, a lot of chops. 
So he was kind of like my hero because I could actually touch him and, you know, he would give me symbols and sticks and stuff like that. And um, so then later on, I learned that his idols were Buddy Rich and um, Louis Belson. So then at some point, um, Buddy Rich came on on TV and my dad pulled me over and said, hey, you got to check this out. And then I was completely blown away. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty hardcore. And it was not that I have not heard stuff like that, but I, I mean, I must have, I must have been like six or no, maybe seven or eight, or you know, just old enough to be blown away. <laughs> you know, I, I guess you know, five-year-old kids don't really get blown away by a drummer necessarily, you know. But uh, yeah, that that really hurt, you know, cause I, I kind of expanded what I thought was possible to do on the drums, you know? I mean, there, you know, there was a bunch of key experiences that I had, you know, evidently when like, you know, Billy Cobb, when I saw that, I mean, that, you know, of course I was into like prog rock at that time, you know, Emerson Lake and Palmer and, you know, big drum sets. And I was into that. And, um, I got totally cured of that, uh, when my, when my mom took me to see Mahavishnu Orchestra when I was like 11, that was a total paradigm change. So like, you know, Billy Cobb changed a lot of things. And then, you know, within increments of like, I don't know, five or six years, you know, I kept hearing other drummers uh, that really inspired me. But probably the guy who really broke my heart was Tony Williams. Um, which, you know, I, I was always aware of, but I didn't quite understand him. And uh, that was a paradigm change when I think I was maybe 16 or 17 when I heard him play live for like the first time. And I think that was probably the biggest shock that I ever experienced seeing a drummer. Uh, you know, th like this has not happened before or ever since. Like uh, Tony Williams completely broke my heart, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I I still think up up to these days that he's probably one of the greatest musicians that ever lived, you know. But uh, of course, there was other people that came along that you know that uh, inspired me from the drums or from the music that were important too. And dressing stuff indeed. Now you are um, renowned. You've got an amazing technique and very, very such a pioneer on the instrument, of course. And um, I'm interested to know: Did you have? Uh, have you ever had like a practice routine? Uh, and if so, what is that consisted of? Or you just get on the kit and you play whatever you're preparing for for a gig? Or is it a set routine? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I never, I never had a drum teacher really. I mean, I did have teachers, but, you know, I didn't have formal instructions. So I'm basically self-taught, uh, generally in music, you know, I, I, I picked up other instruments than the drums, like the guitar and the bass and the piano. I mean, um, I'm not a very good piano player and my, my bass playing is better. And my guitar playing is okay. But, uh, um, I didn't, I, you know, I never really went to music school. So I developed a different idiosyncrasies of learning by observation and acquisition and processing and elimination. And uh, that's how I basically also came up with my own, I should say, you know, my, 
my my own methodology of uh, showing people things, uh, you know, which is very much based on like observation and imitation. I think that's that's a, those are the uh, those are the mommy and daddy of like learning. You know, if you if you don't observe and you don't you don't imitate, then it's difficult to learn. So that's a natural way of like learning. Um, and that's kind of like at the, at the core of how I learned to play, um, music or, 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 or the drums. And I mean, of course, you know, when I, um, I had fairly naturally developed good technique or, or, or technique that allowed me to, to execute what I wanted to do. However, I made every mistake in the book because I was just, you know, I mean, I had a natural, uh, how should I say, I had a natural uh, instinct for, you know, what would, where do- or doors would open or not. But, but yet uh, still there was, you know, I developed a, some problems, you know, and, and when I come to, when I came to the United States and I moved to the United States when I was in my mid twenties, uh, kind of rather late, uh, uh, I had the opportunity to to meet some of the you know the staples of the guys that learned from the original old guys you know you know like I mean there's basically the people who who put together the modern concept of technique for like for like drumming are people like uh, Billy Gladstone or Sanford Moeller or uh, George Lawrence Stone and uh, which by the way those were the drummers in the orchestral pit. When Buddy Rich was in in in, in Buddy Rich's uh, parents' vaudeville theater, so basically he learned from those guys. So I learned a bunch of stuff from people that were the master students of those guys, like Joe Morello or uh, Jim Chapin or uh, Freddie Gruber. So um, I was fortunate enough to to meet them because they are, right now they're all dead, but they were kind of like the you know the the link that kind of linked me to to the source of of that knowledge um and uh this is also this helped me tremendously because it got me the blueprint of somehow um the access um to the physical laws behind drumming which is really that what that what allows me to to do certain things with relative ease, you know, without killing my myself. But you know, the bottom line, I'm I'm not a technique stop. You know, I think technique really is only uh, a tool, and as long as you can execute or express yourself musically the way you like to, uh, your your perf- uh, your technique is perfect. You know, I mean, in that case, I would say someone like. Ringo Starr or Charlie Watts, who are, you know, by by many advanced drummers, are looked upon like as being limited. Uh, I think that's a very dangerous way to look at things because both uh, Ringo and Charlie have perfect technique because they perfectly execute or perfectly express what they want to express, and that's all the technique is about. Yeah, it's amazing. You hear so many people say the the Beatles are the greatest act of all time, but they'll say that Ringo Starr isn't a very good drummer. Whereas if you're going to credit John Lennon and Paul McCartney with being two of the greatest songwriters of all time, then surely they can identify a good drummer, right? For their bands. Yeah, 
So um, well, you know, <laughs> as I get older, you know, I am. As I get older, uh, I, I I develop a little bit of a, a different attitude towards you know what what people or what they <laughs> say about who's a genius and who's not. You know, <clears throat> I mean, it goes without saying that like the Beatles deserve respect, but there's a reason why uh, this happened. You know. They were, you know, they were hardworking people. They were talented people. They were at the right time at the right place. And that's it. You know, um, there's probably super talented songwriters that you haven't heard from because of, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's more than just talent, you know, that like uh, requires you. I mean, with, with a very few exceptions, you know, I would reserve the word talent or the greatest songwriters. I mean, yeah, the Beatles definitely have an amazing track records, but uh, they were also standing on the shoulder of giants. You know, they, they, they took a lot of stuff from same with like Led, Led Zeppelin, you know, I mean, uh, it's hard to find anyone who does not love Led Zeppelin because it is good. But they ripped off a lot of stuff from a lot of people, <laughs> you know, that uh, went on, on, uncredited. So um, I think I'm very interested to know the source where, where things are coming from, you know. And I would say, okay, you know, if, if we talk to, you know, someone like Hendrix, I would say Hendrix was, was a genius, you know. And Charlie Parker was a genius, you know. I would say Miles Davis was a genius in a way he understood how everything works, you know, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, respect is, um, you know, all these people deserve respect, you know, because they, 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 they provided beautiful things for the rest of us. Is there anybody that you would like to collaborate with musically that you've not had an opportunity to yet? Uh, well, <laughs> I do get this question quite often, and uh, you know, I'm right now. I am actually, oh, of course, there's many uh, interesting people that I would like to collaborate, but they're not musicians, you know. I mean, I'd like to collaborate with Banksy somehow. You know, if 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 he hears that, you know, I mean, someone someone in music has yet to do what it what he did in, I don't know what you want to call it, you know, but, uh, you know, this is someone who really got the idea of the 21st century, you know, that inspires me. Um, you know, there's certain filmmakers or I would, I would collaborate with like anyone that like, you know, gets the right idea. It could be an architect or a dancer. Unfortunately, in music, there's not so much stuff. So my focus is not so much like up or like, oh, yeah, I'd like to collaborate with, uh, I'd like to play with Sting, you know. I mean, there's some people that I would love to work with, which are dead now, you know. I mean, Frank Zappa would have been interesting, I'm, 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 I'm sure. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, great uh, artists. But I think right now it's more important to kind of like discover young uh, musicians, you know, and like see what they do and, and, and collaborate with them. You know, 
I think that they they hold the solution to the future, not someone who sold a lot of records in the 20th century, you know. So, you know, with that said, I mean, of course, it must be nice to to play with Aretha Franklin or, you know, uh, there are many great musicians out there and it must be fantastic of that, but, um, or Stevie Wonder, I don't know, and they're still around and I'm sure it would be a great experience, but I don't concern myself with that so much because, uh, I'm not a nostalgic person. You know, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'll live in the, in the, in the present and in and the future. Uh, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm concerned with. So you've got some things coming up this year. What have you got? Uh, what have you got coming up musically that you're looking forward to? Well, uh, I do have a, a, a bunch of collaborations going uh, with some, you know, people that I haven't worked with. So I can't go really public with it because <laughs> it's going to pan out. Uh, I'm actually coming to the UK um, in summer. I'm doing a clinic at the Royal Academy. And then I will play some, actually some big band, uh, some some Buddy Rich pieces with the big band there. And later on this year, uh, well, I'll be coming back uh, to Europe to tour with my band Nerve. And uh, hopefully uh, we will manage to, to get ourselves over to the UK because I know I have a lot of fans there and um, somehow... We've just been like preoccupied with, with with different markets and like like we've been in Asia a lot, but um, hopefully it's going to work out like this this time. So that will be that will be happening like uh, fall or you know late fall November. Uh, yeah, pretty much like around November. And then you know when I'm in New York, I uh, I do I do production stuff. You know, and like right now. We're working on some new material for like Nerf. We, you know, we always need time out for to do uh, some R and D, you know, because we don't want to play the same stuff all over all the time. <laughs> and uh, so we're working on, on a new record, and that's going to take some some time uh, this summer. And uh, yeah, that those are like uh, you know, that's what's uh, right next concerning the UK and myself. Well, listen, Joe thanks very much. Very, very insightful uh, interview indeed, uh, chatting to you today. And uh, hopefully um, when you're over in the UK, it would be great to get an opportunity to meet you because I've always been puzzled as to how you managed to do that multiple beat thing with the one hand with the drumstick. Find that incredible. So hopefully you can, <laughs> sh- hopefully you can show me that one day. <laughs> All right. Well, there's like a video that explains it like very, very clearly. Called, brilliant, brilliant. It's called uh, Secret Weapons for the Modern Drummer. Which is uh, it's kind of like uh, there's two volumes. One is for hands, and one is for the feet. Like the one for the feet just came out, and uh, I think that's pretty much uh, all these things are pretty much like consolidated uh, DNA of uh, technicalities when it comes to you know the physical loss and what I did. Like that's that's some of the stuff that I that's everything I I learned in my life about drum technique and. Uh, I think uh, it's it, it should be quite easy to like learn it from from those D two two DVDs. Well, I'm sold on that one, Jojo. I'm going to purchase those DVDs. And thanks very much for for joining us today. And we'll hopefully see you in the UK soon. There you have it. 
the man, the myth, the legend, Jojo May. And a big thanks to Jojo himself for joining us, coupled with Nora Germaine earlier with a love advice. Continue to support the podcast. The podcast support in general has been great the last few weeks. Stitcher Radio, you can find us, coupled with iTunes, SoundCloud, Audio Boom. As you heard me mention a couple of weeks back, we're now on that as well. A plethora of places to check us out on the internet. And the central place that holds all that together is, of course, scottcowie.com. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, the lot. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.